Hello, everybody, and welcome all. Thanks to LD Mobile. It's time for NBL Overtime. Hashtag NBL Overtime. So much going on. The commish is here. We're going to get to him in a split second. Liam, homicide. Hello, boys. What's going on? Oh, well, everything's going on. There's new task force. We're changing by the day. But we're getting excited because we are starting to get to those times, as we touch on, where the rosters continue to get filled out. We've got so much to get into, but we are joined, as I touched on, off the top. And as you can see, the commissioner of the NBL, Jeremy Lurley, uh, joins us. Uh, Kamish, welcome back to NBL Overtime. Thanks very much. Good to see you all. Thanks for having me. Hey, before we get into the nitty-gritty and, and everything that's going on, let's, how have these last four or five months been? You've been a sports administrator for a little while. The world is changing on a daily basis. I think the last time you joined us was just after the announcement of the Perth Wildcats becoming champions. And it feels like so much has changed. How, how have you gone personally and, and, and in your role as the NBL Commission last four or five months? It's been, it's been an exhausting few months, particularly seen as you sort of look back and don't necessarily have anything to show for it. There's a a huge amount of time and effort going into planning, um, into risk management. And, yeah, I guess you've got to come up with four or five different alternatives as to, to how we progress the season. Only one of those can eventuate. And, and we all hope that it's the, the best outcome, that we're as close to business as usual as possible and playing in front of nice full stadiums. But uh, it, it's been a pretty exhausting little period. Now, a return to competition task force is something that I'm assuming a lot of sporting leagues around the world are having to, you know, really scramble and put together to, to try and make this work for the reasons you just touched on. And the NBL announced theirs today because you're a part of it. It'll be chaired by uh, the NBL chairman, Graham Wade. Uh, experience, expertise in about, it feels like, 50 different sectors. And to be honest, it's probably needed to be able to get everything right as we head towards a restart in December. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head in terms of what we were aiming to do was bring expertise from a range of different areas, but importantly, who had a relationship with um, the game and understanding of the game and the sport or the, the sporting environment, environment more broadly, um, industry expertise. And so if you, if you look through the panel and you, you mentioned... Our chairman, Graham Wade, chairing uh, the task force. Larry and myself are both on there, but then representation from some of our major partners. So Jack Cowan, the uh, owner of Hungry Jacks. Um, Greg O'Neill, the, the CEO of Latrobe Financial, but who is also, importantly, the chairman of the Australian Basketball Players Association. So players are represented there. Um, from a medical point of view, Dr. Peter Harcourt, who doesn't need much of a, an introduction, but is the, you know, the godfather of sports medicine uh, and is the, the chief medical officer for Basketball Australia. Um, from a venue's point of view, the live industry entertainment forum is represented by, by Glenn Rainsbury. Uh, and then bastions of industry as well, I guess, Rob Marcolina, the senior executive from Qantas, but importantly, former chairman of Basketball Australia, Rafi Jaminda, who's the executive chairman of the PACT group, but is a former NBL owner. So he's got some hindsight and some, uh, you know, he's got an insight into the game, but he's no longer an owner. And so he can bring some objectivity and put his objective former team owners hat on. Uh, and then current owners as well, uh, Craig Hutchison and, and Grant Kelly from Melbourne United and Adelaide respectively. So it's a very, very heavy hitting task force in terms of the, all of the myriad things that they've achieved and the experience that they bring to bear, um, but they get it uh, in terms of the challenges that we're facing and that business is facing as well. Uh, and importantly, they're all people who, through their own business interests, 
a drawing in information from all of these different sources about what's happening, what's expected to happen in terms of regulatory environment, health and safety, financial impact. So we're, we're really buoyed by the fact that they all agree to join us and, and help and, um, and do so in the best interest of the sport and in the best interest of ending up with a, a product that is going to be available to fans. Jeremy, the release this morning said that the Task Force's first meeting is in the books. Yep. What was, uh, what was thrashed out at that first sit-down? Well, I guess a lot of it was background, to be perfectly honest, with bringing those experts up to speed on where our planning is currently at, the different models that we think are, are achievable and viable, um, giving them an insight into clubs' perspectives and their positions, um, and so a lot of it was background and giving them the information that they need in order to sort of cogitate on it and then come back to the next meeting with um, some firmer views and opinions. And in the meantime, between those two meetings, uh, the NBL exec will be formulating some strategic questions to ask of those individuals so that, um, yeah, that I think the second meeting will be the more substantive of, of the two, put it that way. A lot of it was feeling out the, um, the context and, uh, and everyone's attitudes and uh, confidence. It was, that was one interesting aspect, was getting a sense of everyone's confidence from different industries as to how they're proceeding towards uh, planning for the next financial year. Just, just on that, how, we are and this is from a, a world perspective, but it seems to change every day. So how often are these meetings scheduled? You know, if it's two weeks, so much could change from now in a fortnight's time. Is it, is it weekly? Well, how long is it? We're, at the moment, we're holding them fortnightly. Um, and that gives us all enough time to, to do the work that needs to be done, I think, to be able to progress in an orderly fashion. But it, I think it will become more frequent. Um, because we're going to start to reach deadlines by which decisions need to be made. And one of the critical tasks for this group is not just to identify what decisions need to be made and what options are out there, but when we need to make each one of those decisions, because there is no one magic date by which all decisions need to be made. You can start ruling out or ruling in particular options based on the lead time that you need to give effect to them. Um, so at the moment, we're all working furiously on establishing what those milestone, milestone dates are by which we need to make certain critical decisions. I can't believe Homicide didn't make it. Homicide, you got a question? You're not on the task well, force. I'm all ears. I'm listening. Are no, you listening? <laughs> Valuable information. I'm listening. Liam? Jeremy, there's different parts of the league right now are in such different situations with regards to the virus right what's happening here in melbourne where two teams are based totally different to other parts of australia completely different to the situation over in new zealand what um what types of models are you guys currently looking at uh, larry this morning spoke about a total hub model what does what could that potentially look like a flexible model what kind of things are you guys throwing around yeah i i guess you've um You've asked a $64 million question as to what, what are the models? Uh, and there's a, uh, I guess, a, um, they're at opposite ends of the extreme, you have business as usual and complete hub. Um, I guess cancellation of the season is at the far, far end of, of one of those extremes. But in terms of playing models, um, a complete hub, much like we're seeing with the NBA, is probably the most conservative 
uh, and it's one that you basically establish as a backstop. So we're doing the modeling now to understand what a hub would look like, where we could potentially play, what the commercial implications are, um, so that we have that as uh, in our back pocket and something that if, if all else fails, we can rule out other models and end up playing in a hub. Now, it's gonna be very costly. Um, hopefully, if we were to do it, we'd do it somewhere that fans could get along and at least attend games and enjoy them. Um, but it would be a bit of a logistical nightmare, I'm sure you can imagine. But potentially not as difficult as a hybrid model where you're playing partly in hub and partly in normal uh, venues. Um, but that might be a better commercial outcome is that hybrid model. And then you come down to the, the business as usual model, which I think we're all fairly realistic and pragmatic about the fact that there's not much happening in the world on the basis of business as usual at present. Mm -hmm. And probably the closest that we could get to business as usual um, that we're envisaging at the moment is that most teams would be playing in their regular home venues in front of some fans. Now, how many fans? is gonna be different in each city, I expect. Um, different governments will have a different appetite in terms of um, benefit, risk, um, and prevailing circumstances in terms of number of cases. Uh, the other question is whether or not all cities will be able to participate on that same basis. And I guess there's a real question mark over Melbourne at the moment. And so one alternative is, and we've seen other sporting codes do it, Melbourne United and South East Melbourne may relocate to a uh, another host city for the duration of the season or for part of the season. It may be that they relocate for a while and then, uh, you know, Melbourne opens up and they're able to, to come home, so to speak. So uh, I guess those are the, the myriad different options. You could have one hub, you could play three different hubs and move it around to three different cities and try and please more fans, I guess, around, around the country or countries. Uh, New Zealand obviously is tracking very well in respect of its response to coronavirus and there's, there's no reason why we couldn't potentially go and play summer or all of the season in New Zealand. Uh, so the, I guess that's one of the pleasing aspects of it is there are a huge number of choices out there. That's part of the challenge though, is narrowing down the number of choices and trying to figure out which one gives the best results for the, for the league and really importantly for the clubs. Uh, they're the ones who are going to be very heavily impacted by this. We, we're going to do what we can to help, um, but the best thing we can do is give them the opportunity to, to maximise uh, the, the commercial potential. With all the sports that we're seeing at the moment, the NBA being the most obvious example of those, the playing in a bubble or a hub type setup, so much of that is based around the fact that they have a broadcast rights deal that brings so much of their commercial um, benefits for them. The fact that we don't have that necessarily, how much does how, how big a challenge is that for us to look at that kind of model and pull that off? Yeah, it's, it's very, very significant. And I guess the first priority is the health, safety and well-being of our players, uh, all of the administrators associated with the clubs and obviously community at large. That has to be the number one priority. The second priority is you know, delivering a great outcome for our fans, playing in front of full stadiums um, and rewarding them for the support that they've given us over the last five years in, in growing this product so uh, significantly. But that's fundamental to the viability of the clubs as well. They're so heavily dependent on gate receipts because, as you say, we don't get significant amounts of money from our media rights deals and therefore 
can't prop up the clubs based on a TV-only model. Uh, so it's fundamental. Um, everything else is a, a, they're fixed things that you have to accept those things that you can't change. Um, the difficulty is sometimes having to accept that you can't change them, but that they're going to change anyway and it's outside of your control and at the moment they're changing very quickly. But the priorities for us are, are health and then secondly, getting people uh, through the turnstiles and into stadiums. Other side? All right. I'm all. I'm listening. I got this one then. Valuable information. December three is the the scheduled date. It's been slated, and of course, as you touched on, so much is changing on on a daily basis. But if it was to start December three, would you be looking? I know it's early days. Extending the season a little bit, or do you think? And we are seeing this, of course, with the AFL right now. More footy to compress it in. So, could we see more midweek NBL games? If in fact to start December three to try and end at a you know, a typical mid-March date, which we traditionally do in the NBL, or do you think it'd be better off moving it and maybe ending, you know, April or May? I think the answer is a little bit of both. Um, do you know, I'm Rick off, I'm off for Tuesday night basketball. Well, for regardless NBL. of coronavirus, and before we had these limitations thrust upon us, we were actually modelling more basketball in a, a concentrated period of time, particularly after Christmas and into the first couple of weeks of January, because ordinarily midweek basketball is very difficult because people have school and work, right? But if they're on holidays, um, they're, they're looking for content on TV quite often, especially mid-afternoon into the evening. Uh, and also they're looking for family activities and going off to uh, a live NBL game, we all know is great family entertainment. So it seemed to tick a lot of boxes, both for the league and for fans, if we could concentrate more basketball into that period. So we still intend to do that um, under this revised model. But also I do think that it will um, probably push out the end of the season as well. And I think you'd probably see the, the end of the regular season around the middle of April based on current modelling and, you know, that the, you'd have four teams probably play through the second half of April and two teams maybe into the first couple of weeks of May. Um, as you say, it is still early and schedule's still falling into place and that is still premised on an assumption that we're starting through December, but um, a combination of the two should mean that we don't push out too far on the back end. Certainly, if we're starting two months late, I don't think it'll run two months late. Don't don't forget, mate. You got to fit the the wild card game in as well in NBL twenty one. So a little couple of things there. Yeah. Um, let's let's change. Well, we're also waiting to see what happens with FIBA qualifications, right? I mean, uh, it's not just basketball yeah, in Australia that's been thrown into turmoil. There's uh, there's a lot of other fixtures that are being set as well. Just just before we do change it, just on the hub, if it is possible, like. A conversation at some point, you've obviously got those links with the NBA. Would that be a conversation yourself or someone else on the task force would have a chat with to, to work out the best, what did work, what didn't work when it came to the hub they got in the NBA right now? We've just said if you can leave the floors down in Disney World, that would be great. And we'll, <laughs> we'll head right over. Uh, just going to get me passport done. Hang on a second. I'll be back. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, look, the... It's, it's comparing apples and oranges to some extent. I mean, yep. the, the, uh, there are certainly learnings to take away and we're doing mm -hmm. so constantly and we're getting feedback from, from teams um, uh, fairly regularly about what's working and what, what are challenges for players. And we've been talking with the Players Association or representatives from um, the NBA Players Association as well. And they're starting to understand where the challenges have been arising um, we've also identified some really good opportunities and 
I think the, the TV production about the games in the bubble over there have been fantastic. The content's great. Um, it's missing something, certainly, without the fans there. The virtual fans are pretty cool, though. And there's a different set of opportunities that you can realise that you couldn't ordinarily do. So we're, we're certainly learning from it day by day. Well, weird things happen too in the bubble as well. Jeremy, as you can see, the Phoenix Suns who have been disgusting for a decade, all of a sudden they win six in a row and Liam's a fan. So uh, weird things do happen. Hey, um, touching on the NBA, with you know, the draft, be it uncertain collegiate uh, season, of course, we're seeing the postponement of, of college football overnight. We're seeing a situation where the next stars might be a little different or at least in a, in a situation going forward, teams might look different look at it when it comes to being able to get some next stars to Australia. Has that all worked out? And, and how much of an ongoing conversation is that around it? Yeah, I guess it's working out in real time. Like everything else, you know, next stars has had to adapt with every other, other part of our business and, and our model. And um, we've got a few different challenges this year. Uh, we've never had to compete with the NBA's G League Academy before. Um, we've never had to contend with conversations with parents about sending their 18-year-old son to the other side of the world in the middle of a pandemic. It's just people's decision-making has been so significantly impacted. We've never had to talk to people about quarantining. Um, We've never had the uncertainty before of being able to tell parents when the competition will start and when their children will be coming home. Uh, So we've got all these different parameters which are certainly challenging but uh, at the same time, people are acknowledging the fact that Australia is responding very well to coronavirus for the most part, that we are a safe destination, um, that roll around summertime when we're looking to start play, that we're probably going to be in a, a pretty good situation. Uh, and so it is, it is still attractive. It's just a very different conversation to what we've been having in the past. And then you've got this Timing with Next Stars has always been interesting because it's always a bit of a roll of the dice as to whether or not you try and secure someone early who is perhaps a, a line ball draft prospect um, or whether or not you wait until the last minute, see if someone pulls out of the draft and decides to go and play pro somewhere for a year first and slips through the crack but is a much higher likelihood of being drafted first round the following year. So timing's always been an interesting risk-reward factor for the Next Stars program. Um, this year, it's different again in the sense that the NBA draft is going to be so much later than it's ever been before. Uh, we saw the Didi Luzada example last year of someone being drafted and then stashed into the Next Stars program for a season or two. And that proved to be really successful. I think the Kings were happy with that outcome. Mm-hmm. Diddy's game continued to improve throughout the, throughout the season. Um, I know the Pelicans were really happy with it as a development tool for him and that other NBA clubs were looking at doing the same, drafting people second round in what was going to be July or June and then delayed until July and then delayed until August and now delayed until October. Um, And all of a sudden, we're going to be in a situation where a player could be drafted second round, but it's too late to negotiate a stash arrangement because if it's mid-October by the time they're drafted, Uh, end of October by the time they've really had a conversation with us about a draft and stash. Um, So then it's realistically mid-November before they could leave the country and get their affairs in order. Then potentially two weeks of quarantine, they'd be arriving in the country at the beginning of the season. So that might just not be feasible. Uh, So 
Interestingly, though, by virtue of the fact that the draft is later, players who are going to be in this year's draft and who are, say, college seniors are going to be eligible for next stars because the criteria is that you are NBA draft eligible. And if you go and look at a college senior at the moment, at this stage, ordinarily, the draft would have been and gone. So they wouldn't be draft eligible. But the way the circumstances have played out, they are draft eligible and could be signed as a next star. So all of these different factors are playing out in real time and we're still feeling our way around them and, and trying to maximise the potential to bring the best talent that we can to the competition um, and trying not to undo any of the good work that we've done so far and in terms of you know, proving up this draft and stash model, for example. Just to follow up on that, the, the uncertainty around the NCAA and what that's going to look like for the upcoming year, the next 12 months or so, I mean, what, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have on the next stars landscape? It's significant. And we've had all manner of, of people reaching out saying, hey, how, how long can you wait before you need an answer in respect of a next stars player? Because we just don't know what's going to happen here. And so a lot of the top draft prospects are, are sitting there very nervously wanting to know whether or not there's going to be a college season or if there is going to be a college season, whether or not it's going to be meaningful and substantive. Um, you know, the, the educational benefits, I guess, are, are more limited as well if they can't be physically going to classes. Uh, if they can play college basketball, but there's not a, you know, a final four at the end of it, then, then does it have the same appeal? So certainly we're fielding all of these sorts of questions at the moment uh, and people are sussing out whether or not we're in a position of any more confidence and certainty than college is. Um, I think we are at present, but uh, there are a lot of people who you know, want to continue or, or start their college journeys, but who are very mindful of the fact that there is an alternative over here on the other side of the pond and that, uh, and that it might be a pretty attractive alternative. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to jump one more on about the, the next. Yeah. You talked about the draft and stash and about how the draft's going to be so late. It's going to make that timing very difficult. Do you still think that, though, that that's a possibility? Can teams start those conversations early, for example, you know, and look at, say, a team like the 76ers who have a whole bunch of draft picks and say, hey, look, one of those in your, your, your second round picks, can we talk in advance about the possibility of making that work? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, that's why I think the opportunity to draft some of those, sorry, not to draft, to contract some of these players now is very realistic because you know, there, there are draft boards and then there's reality. And, um, you know, there, there are lots of relationships between NBL and NBA franchises where uh, people have fairly good insight as to um, who's going to be drafting who, uh, g given certain factors playing out the way people expect. And so that, that's very realistic that someone going into the draft could sign a next stars contract now even on the basis that if they are drafted in the second round, then they're staffed at that NBL club. And I've even heard of situations where um, NBA scouts and, and clubs have said, look, a player is more attractive to them as a second round pick potentially if they know that they've got an NBL club to go to for a season as a stash and continue to develop there for a year that gives them a sense of confidence that, okay, maybe there's this player who they want the rights to is not ready yet to transition into NBA. But if I know they're going to a fantastic competition where it's safe, they've got a great head coach, that makes that player potentially more attractive to an NBA club and rightly so.
just on the flip side of that, if a deal is done as a next star, then he gets drafted. And then the club does, in fact, want him to go straight into the NBA program. It just works normally like with the buyout, I assume, does it? Right. Nothing's changed in terms of the rules itself or the structure of the contracts. And so if a player is called up for NBA duty while they're on an X-Stars contract, then that's the ability that they have is to, to opt out of the X-Stars contract and go and play NBA basketball. And you know, ultimately, that's what we're all striving for is to help these guys get drafted and to get contracted. And if they go first round, fantastic. If they go second round but get called up during the season, the contract allows for that also. Hey, Jeremy, you spoke before about the health and welfare of the players being your number one priority. Um, we got the really good news the other day about Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. No, uh, none of their contracted players returning positive results. Uh, what's the latest update with regards to the Melbourne United guys and the, the support that they're receiving? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Look, the, my understanding is that the... Um, my understanding it's fact that their health and well-being is obviously the club's number one priority at the moment getting those guys fighting fit again um i i haven't heard of any health implications for any of the players that are particularly significant i understand that everyone is obviously quarantining and working through recovery um but uh they're obviously being monitored on a day-by-day basis uh I guess the important thing to reiterate is that the, the club was 100% compliant with the requirements for returning to practice. And that's, that's a little bit of the scary element in this, is that you can be compliant and yet okay. something slips through the cracks and it's so contagious that it just ripped through a group of people after, you know, what is, um, what, as far as we can tell, it's from basically one scrimmage session that it, that it spread very, very quickly through that playing group. So uh, we're right to be taking this thing, and we, taking this thing seriously, and we as, as the royal we, everyone, taking this as seriously as we are because it just demonstrates time and time again how contagious it is. Hashtag NBL over time to get involved. Uh, Jeremy, before we go, uh, let you go, I just want to ask you about, like, we touched off the top about the last four or five months. And of course, when this really started to hit, it was an off season. So you had time to be able to sit down and, and work different ways, be it pay structures and, and everything, the opt-in, the opt-out. Uh, and there was always going to be a concern that the rosters or players, star players might leave and might look elsewhere. But for the ability to be able to, for the teams and the clubs and the NBL as a whole, to continue to be able to hold on to these stars and be able to get and be attractive for players that hadn't previously played in the league to sign here. That must be something that gives you a great deal of pride in, in the way everyone at the NBL headquarters and the clubs have been able to deal with this in such uncertain times to still be able to put together really star-studded and, and what will be fun to watch rosters. Yeah, it is heartening. And, and um, I think it's symbolic of the fact that players are... Uh, uh, can acknowledge the growth over the last few years and that they want to remain in a competition that is continuing to grow and, and uh, I'm indebted to them that they're, uh, I guess, um, demonstrating their commitment to the cause. Uh, we're very, very grateful. Um, obviously, we remain uh, in a situation where we're constantly reviewing the circumstances, but their health and well-being, as I said earlier, is an absolute priority for us. Um, but they've been fantastic in terms of showing their support for the league. And as you alluded to, it's going to be a fantastic season because the mm. talent is as good as it's ever been, um, if not better. 
and some of the changes in the off-season in terms of rosters, I think are shaping up to be one of the most competitive seasons that we've seen in a very, very long time. So I just want to get into it. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to get this planning over and done with. I, I want this virus to go away so that we can all start playing basketball again. I, I know this is a this is a long way and probably at the lower priority, but are we assuming no preseason tournament, no blitz this year because of, of this? I think that's probably a fairly safe assumption. I think if, if we were to do that, it would push back the beginning of the season, mm. um, which I don't think uh, is... No, we don't want that. We don't want that. As I said, we all want to be playing basketball. We, mm. We'll do it if we have to. We, we've got the flexibility to be able to do it. But if we can start on December 3, let's do it. I think yeah, everyone's no, I agree. And I assume with Jack Cowan on the uh, the competition restart task force, you're just smashing down whoppers as you work through all the main issues when it comes to NBL 21? Absolutely. It's compulsory for everyone on the task force. You're not allowed to... It's like the conch shell. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to talk unless you're holding a whopper. <laughs> That's fair enough, too. Any last words, Homicide? No. I mean, right. you know, December 3rd, let's bring it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually... Can you get the Christmas Day conversation, Jeremy, into the competition task force? I know there's probably some other things, but I, you know I'm a Christmas Day basketball fan. I'm pushing for it here in Australia. I tell you what, it might be an easier conversation this year than others. If people aren't spending Christmas with yeah. their families anyway, then, uh, hey, it's, it's got to be on the table. The first league that does it in Australia gets a huge head start on everyone else, Jeremy. So just keep that in mind. Hey, thank you. We know it's been a, a you know an incredibly hard four or five months for for everybody, but to be able to do personally as well with your family and and homeschooling, I'm assuming as well, thrown mm. in there and trying to get everything right with the NBL as we head towards what we all want on December three. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Good on you guys. Great to see you all. Great to speak with you, and uh, look forward to touching base again soon. NBL 21 boys if that doesn't fire up for what hopefully is going to be December 3 nothing will as we uh, we, we've spoken a little bit about this and we spoke it touched on with Jeremy the rosters are starting to get filled out we are starting to get excited there is a fair bit of uncertainty but we are seeing a slight slight little bit of light at the end of the NBL tunnel that that ad fires us up homicide gets a little bit of you definitely you know, just excited. Uh, the juices are slowly mm-hmm. starting to start rolling again. December's going to be soon. Yeah. And we got to be ready to jump into it. I'm excited. All right. Hey, just to quickly, just to talk a little bit about what Jeremy touched on. The hubs is, is something, and as he touched on, is, is probably the last and the bottom of the list. But it is a distinct possibility, if you look, as Liam touched on, the NBA, the AFL's doing a, you know, a hub sort of hybrid version. Where would you like... You know, obviously NBL overtime is going to whatever hub this thing happens. So where, where do you want to base ourselves? Where do you think would be a good place for the hub? I'll start with you, Liam. If, in fact, it does work out that way. I want the whole league to play out of the Bunnings. But 
I'm with you. You know what I'm saying? We thought we thought it was going to be great that we're going to have just one team up there with the Taipans and and how that's all worked out. But yes. that that arena, if we can call it that, the warehouse, the snake house, however mm-hmm. it's going to play out, mm-hmm. could be just purpose built for a hub situation for NBL 21 and. Uh, with the size of the crowd, how they're handling things there in Queensland, far north Queensland. Kansas is a nice place to be if you have to be in a place for a certain period of time. And, and uh, we know those Taipans, well, those Cairns fans love to uh, come to the games and support their team. Mm-hmm. I could see them supporting a whole bunch of uh, teams up there and uh, that could be a whole lot of fun. Homicide, as we've touched on and what we've learned from watching the NBA the last couple of weeks, it has to be a, you know, obviously not a necessarily massive stadium. It has to be extremely broadcast savvy. The NBA have done a great job. It's custom built, which kind of this Bunnings Arena is as we head towards this season, ironically. So it's a brilliant idea. And of course, we touched on doing a show from Gilligan's at some point. So imagine every NBL over time. I don't even know if it's open, but I'm just thinking out loud here. You like it, don't you? Are you more excited for the hub to be in cans for the hub to be in cans yeah. or for you to be able to get VIP drinks at Gilligan's? Look, you know, if they go <laughs> hand in hand, you just go, you know, uh, 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 uh. hey, I'm just excited that there's a chance at the NBL. We're getting closer and it's just psyched me up. And the hub, while, of course, I don't want to see a hub, I want to see all teams in their own arenas in front of their own fans. If we can make the best of a bad situation, hey, it works for us. I'm not mad at that. And I think I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, cans would be great. You know, the weather would be perfect um, to have on shorts and T-shirts mm-hmm. for the season. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love it. You know, I need it. I haven't seen summer in a full year, even when it was summer last year in <laughs> Melbourne. It wasn't even summer. Yeah. So, um, to be in far north Queensland, that would be a great look. I think, you know, the other thing is like, we're not, if we, it is a hub type setup, we, we don't want, like you said, Cam, a, a big arena. No, you we know, can't. Like, uh, that's just going to be expensive. And it's, you sort of look at what the NBA is doing. Uh, we won't be able to replicate exactly that, but a small boutique type setup that's not quite a big arena, but it's not quite a training gym either could work nicely, especially if the government's putting the bill. That, that, and that's a big one as well, as, as Troy Stone told us a month or so ago when he joined us here on NBL Overtime. And, and obviously the virtual fans probably isn't going to work in an NBL uh, from the way that it has in the NBA. But if you have a custom-built boutique arena, as you touched on, with enough fans and acoustically it does work, there's a fair bit of intensity and atmosphere in there as well. So I think, you know, we, we, we did see a couple of pics. I, I think uh, we just sent them a second ago of... You know, the, the tour that a couple of Cairns Taipans uh, management did last week. So it's coming together slowly and it could just work in a nice little bow that it all comes together. All right. Put Hub aside. Let's talk a little more about rosters because there was some signing since we last caught up. Let's start with Max Darling. You caught up with him. I'll start with you, Liam. Three-year deal uh, at the Hawks. And he's going to be fun. He, his highlight reel is fun to watch. Sure is. Uh, yeah, talented young kid, a whole bunch of upside Great signing for the Hawks to get him for three years. Uh, how much is he going to contribute in year one? The kid's only 19. Teenagers usually don't have a massive impact on winning in the NBL. We've seen over a period of time, but he has a very, very bright future. Two years of pro ball under his belt mm-hmm. in Europe as an import, signing Croatia as a 17-year-old. Um, so he's got that experience under his belt. Uh, I wrote about how he's like a... Um, 
like a Zion Williamson, Charles Barkley, Jay Sean Tate type of guy where he's, he's small but strong. 7-1 wingspan, plays taller than he is and uh, certainly loves to get above the rim. So has definitely helped that front court in, uh, in Wollongong. And um, I like that signing by them for sure. I mean, his, with, his, with his upside and potential, he has no choice but to get better under Brian Gorgian. So that's the best thing for him to sign under. As he mentioned in uh, the interview you had with him, um, he's really excited to learn under the GOAT. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. He looks like he's going to be fun in the open court. A lot of alley-oops and lobs. He'll be catching and finishing as long as well as rim protecting. So I look forward to seeing him develop under Gorgian. And if you want to chat and catch that isolation conversation that Liam had with Max Darling, jump on NBL socials, nbl.com.au, and check it out. Shout out Mark Dickel, my former Victoria Titans teammate, who is this kid's mentor. Uh, coached him as a youngster and has been working with him over the years. And he is the man who has been most influential in bringing him to the NBL. Where Mark Dickel's coaching in the Philippines, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I got a text yesterday, ironically enough, about this, and I was unaware. But of course, he was talking about someone who was fun to watch and love to get up and down, and someone you would have you would have battled with day by day. Yes. Uh, it was fun. We might try and get him on NBL Rewind next couple of weeks. I think it'd be a good chat. Okay, I would like I it. All right, that. another signing, and oh, Jared Kenny. I, I like, no, no, I don't. I'm not disappointed about Jared Kenny re-signing at the, the Cairns Taipans for a year, but he's the mullet just worked for the great man. Of course, wins the NZBL, gets his first title over there after, you know, it's almost been two decades. He signs, he's great, but the mullet's gone. And it just flattens me because I thought it was such a huge thing for him and huge thing for the league. I loved it, Homicide. Good hairstyle. Gone. Great signing. Well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Put the work in last year. He was a big part of what they had going on coming off the bench was reliable. I personally love the way he bounced back because there was a moment in the season when that game against the Phoenix gave it up. It was just a, a bad performance down the stretch in those last three minutes that, you know, could have pretty much killed their season. But for him to bounce back the way he did the remainder of the season much respect and great signing for Cairns. I look forward to seeing him continue the success from last season with them this this upcoming season. I remember remember Quatnoy hurt his ankle. They yep. coughed up that lead, lost to South East Melbourne Phoenix, who at the time were on a similar plane on the on the ladder. And we were like, this could this could go either way. And they used it to that was it. Them. I thought that was it. Yeah. I thought there was no coming back from that brilliant. choke. And Jared Kenny was huge in the second half of the year. It was like the, the catapult for him as well, personally. And there's no doubt he is someone who is so important in a point guard-driven league to be able to come off the bench and play the way he does behind Scott Machado. And we do expect that hopefully that's going to be the man who's going to be the, the starting point guard for the Taipans. It's a no-brainer, Liam Santamaria, to see him back in orange. No-brainer for them, but they needed to get it done. I mentioned in my write-up during the week that uh, the Wildcats obviously was sniffing around for a backup point guard. We know where they ended up. We'll talk about him in a moment, but you know they were talking about Jared Kenny as well. Off contract, fit the bill for what Trevor Gleeson wanted perfectly. Veteran guys, won a couple of championships with them previously and is a high-level defender, which is what you know Trevor Gleeson wanted in that spot. It's also what Mike Kelly and Mark Beecroft and those guys wanted and they were able to get that done. And uh, yeah, 15 months of growth. He had into that magnificent. For a good cause, though. Great cause. Good cause. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, I just so, got a text. You know, he can, look, you can always grow a mullet back. I suspect he's going to put in some effort <laughs> to get fine. that done for sure. But um, but no, nah, look, he's uh, he's just a solid mm-hmm. guy to have on your roster. And you look, you know, you look at the teams that were in the finals, right? Like Jared Kenny, Mitch Norton, uh, Sean Bruce, who was terrific last season, Shay Yilly. Like you have to have somebody yeah. solid, really solid in that spot in this league because there are so many guys at the point guard spot who can just put buckets on the board quickly. And you can't have a guy, if you're a real championship contender, who teams can take advantage of in that spot. So great job by the Taipans to get that done. You mentioned the Perth Wildcats and you mentioned Kevin White a couple of weeks ago in NBL overtime and they were able to join together and he signs a one-year deal, Kevin White. Uh, last year, of course, at Adelaide now joins the Perth Wildcats and he's going to back up. Is Mitch Norton going to start? Are we still, like, we're going to have that Norton Cotton. That's how, yeah, that's how we'll go. And then Kevin White off the bench. We'll start with you, Liam. You like it? Do I like it? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would have preferred Jared. If I was the Wildcats, if I was a Wildcats fan, I would have preferred Jared Kenny. I'll be honest. Um, But uh, with what the situation they had, do you go with Kevin White or or Taylor Britt? I think Taylor Britt's going to be a good player, but for what they need to get done, I think you go for Kevin White right now. People were concerned about how things ended in Adelaide. It was interesting to see him during the week in uh, the West Australians say, you know... I think I did the wrong thing. And I've talked it through with Trev. He thought I did the wrong thing, but he knows that's not who I am. And um, so they've been able to put that aside and move on. And he's going to come in and defend at a high level. And um, he'll hold it down for them as the backup PG. That's what he's there for, isn't it, Homicide? Come off the bench and just play that down, dirty defense that he's known for. Yeah, he's going to have to. He's going to have to prove to that team he is also trustworthy on and off the court because when things like that happen, the way it happened, um, people will judge a character. That's the first thing he's going to have to show everybody on his team, his new team, that, you know, he is trustworthy. So, you know, good luck to him. And there's a lot of pressure at that backup spot because, you know, think about this. Damian Martin's retired, Mm. right? Mitch Norton was the backup. Now Mitch Norton starts, so they, they... Perth Wildcats are known for having quality backup point guards. So, good luck to them. All right. Hey, just on the Wildcats. Yes, Liam? I was just going to say, that's a really great point about, you know, what he needs to prove to his teammates. Because I think it's going to be an interesting situation for Kevin White. He was the captain of the Hawks and was known as a vocal leader, right? And he spent a year or two barking instructions, being Mm -hmm. super vocal and, and leading the way. Then Joey Wright brought him in and said, we don't have that kind of guy. Come in here here and tell everybody how to get things done and that's the role he played coming I watched it over in uh in Utah last year when he first was with that team and he was the most vocal guy on that squad I think now coming into Perth he's gonna keep quiet Mm. right he's gonna be on a team that have got a bunch of championship winners and Cotton and Wagstaff and Mitch Norton these guys are the leaders of that team and he's gonna be um back to just trying to get the job done on the floor for a little while all right, just on the Wildcats, because as you mentioned as well a couple of weeks ago, they were trying to get Brock Modem. The asking price was high. They were trying to find a number that fitted both and was accepted in the end. We know that Brock Modem has now gone back to Europe, but we'll get to that in a moment. What are the Wildcats, who are still trying to work their way through replacing Nick Kay, superstar, probably trying to still work out through the citizenship around Bryce Cotton that is really, it's 
hit and miss when it comes to these type of situations on a normal basis, let alone in 2020. What are you hearing the Wildcats are trying to do or thinking of doing around that four spot? Import four. Okay. That's my understanding. Import four. Mm-hmm. Trevor Gleason's spoken about it, and that's certainly my understanding of what they're getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a Nick K type, you know, a glass eater, uh, um, a guy who can has a bit of range and can can um, score. Um, but that, that four spot is so important to them, right? We, Sean Redditch, um, Matt Knight, Nick K. Like, it's so important to that flex offense. Uh, so it's going to be an import four. The big question is what happens at the five, right? And if Bryce Cotton gets his citizenship, well, all the problems are solved. You're an import five and your roster is ready to go to, to try to get that three-peak. That doesn't happen. I don't know what they're going to do with that spot. Who's on their roster now? Majuk, Majuk. Majuk. Okay. Where's Angus Brent? My understanding is he's signing in Japan. Okay. Big dollars, Angus Brandt. Not saying it's not worth it, just simply saying that in, in these times, it might be just a smidge out of the range of what a couple of NBL teams are, are willing to pay uh, when it comes to the economic times of 2020. This is an interesting time for Perth because yeah, we've touched on this a million times. They could get a call tomorrow and, hey, Bryce Cotton's an Australian and everything just changes positively. Now, it doesn't hurt them. Because if Bryce Cotton's in your team, you're still a chance, as you point out and everyone knows, every single year. But it does change the, the make of their team dramatically in a good way if, in fact, Bryce Cotton becomes an Australian citizen. Somehow, I believe Bryce Cotton will become an Australian citizen before December. Somehow. <laughs> I tell you what, right now, there's eight other NBL that. clubs going, please, no. <laughs> We've got <laughs> enough on our plate. That's the last thing we need. No doubt. <laughs> I get. I had some interesting questions on Twitter, and I clarified it with um, NBL HQ. If he gets, if they get those papers come through, and he ticks over to become a citizen mid-season, then they can sign another import. His contract gets reclassified, and they can make that happen. Um, so it might be a case of saying, "Hey, Miles, hang about, big fella." We're making calls on the daily here. It could happen at any time. And uh, knowing the Wildcats, <laughs> they just have a way of getting things done. And they do. I, I, I suspect that'll play out as you, as you said there, Cap. Hashtag NBL overtime to get involved. We touched on Brock Modem, but yes, he is. Uh, we would have loved to send him back in the NBL, but what the suspicion was the whole time, Liam, that we weren't. And that's now uh, officially true. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just that level of player um, mm. that uh, he's going to get big money offers in Europe. He was, you know, he was happy to have those conversations. He put it out there pretty plainly and simply via his agent how much he would cost. If, for, if, an NBL, if you as an NBL team want to take me off the table right now, mm-hmm. it's going to cost this. And everyone went, whoa, 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 that's just not even in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what about this? And I said, well, you know what? I'm looking at other offers in, in Europe. If it doesn't play out, there's some certain times if things change, well, we can come back and talk about that. But in the meantime, and so we've seen it play out that way, is Simon Galatasaray. And, um, you yeah, know, that's where he's going to play, which, you know, we've seen with the, with the Wildcats, right? Guys that people thought could be an option or that they have had conversations with have gone off the table one by one. So right now it ends up with that citizenship papers for, for Cotton being oh so important. 
<laughs> I, I shudder for the rest of the league if, in fact, this comes through. And Homicide has been... I don't know if you've got any uh, immigration friends who has given you a little heads up there, Homicide, but you have been fairly confident the whole time this thing's going to happen. So we'll see how it all plays out. All right. Any last words, Homicide? What do you got for us? Another? I just feel that due to, as we know, what's happening in the world and the position and influence the Perth Army and the influential Red Army have in the country, sure they have relatives and in high positions, it's all about resources. You understand what I'm saying? So right I now, know. it can help you put you in the best position available possible to three people. Well, I'll tell you Come this. On, tell Come you on, what. I'll tell you this. Come on, man. You know how important Damian fans is, are. Damian Martin is gone. I agree. Nate K is gone. Mm-hmm. The only thing that can help you help ease that situation, those two guys gone. Is getting this guy his citizenship. I, I it's a whole new ball game. I couldn't agree anymore. And I'll tell you this: we know how important fans are in the NBL, and clubs feed off their atmosphere and the intensity and the emotion. And I'll tell you what: if the Red Army has Yo, connected has the, the government and get us ever more, who has the most diehard fans in this country? Perth. I'm simply. What do you think they're doing? Whoever's influential in the red arm. I'm simply saying, no, never more will fans be more influential if Man. one of them can get citizenship for Bryce Cotton. I agree with that. Oh. Woo! Oh. It's exciting. Oh man! All hands on deck. And then we and then we're going to start the boomer conversation, as in the boomers, <laughs> not boomer boomers, about if. Does he fit in that squad as we head towards 2021? Plenty going on. I mean, listen, the best influ- the best import to ever come in this country, he's definitely in a conversation to put on that green and gold. That's that's for sure. Don't disagree again. Liam, anything for us before we get out well, of here? The thing is, though, we talk about all of that. What if those papers don't come through? Now those papers coming through. <laughs> I said, I He's I too close. Agree. It's too close. It's too close. It's not right, but close. He needs a whole nother year before NBL 21 is finished. He will be a local. I get, I get that. But what if it doesn't happen? Right. 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 Because Besto's off the board. Modem's right. off the board. Dwap Reed's back in Europe. Brock Modem's back in Europe. Angus Brandt, I'm, th- I'm here in Japan. What do they do? Who do there's they some, there, There's somebody out there. There's some... No, because Majuk Majuk is good. Yeah, yeah nah. Majuk Majuk is 10 to 15 minutes good. Right, right. I agree. Go get back your center that you had. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that because you got to get an import for yeah. this is. Man. But in, in saying no, you got to go on an Aussie search. You got to go find an Aussie center somewhere. <laughs> they do, they do oh. kind of, and we had this, and homicide. This is where right? trades would be interesting. Oh, do you know you what I mean? Know. You pick up the phone and you say, hey, Southeast Melbourne, you've got Pinot, you've got Wetzel, you've got, you're bringing in an import. This is where next stars could get interesting for Perth. We've never seen that before. They've never really been interested in that before. Or, or you sign AJ Ogilvy. <laughs> hey, you ain't got to look out the country for an Aussie center. There's one there if you want one. That's right. You split That's the never, center minutes with those two. Doesn't have a great track record at the jungle. 
Yeah. As an opposition player. Yeah, beat them, join them. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there, Homicide. <laughs> I, 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 I think it adds hey, to three. Good call. Yeah, Daniel Kickett's out there as well right now, just quietly. Another one. And, and, and as you touched on last week, Alex Thomas, Ledger. Another one. Ledgehammer. There's a few around. And without Bogut, which are there for no Sean Long, it does change a little bit of how teams look at it. So you don't need a monstrous human to give you 35 minutes at the centre to, you know, combat these guys if they're not in the league for obvious reasons. Right, right, right. Fair enough. So you can maybe look at it. But Ogilvy's a good call. Pledges obviously still hasn't been signed. There's a few still getting around. Oh, jeez. I'll tell you what, it's a good position to be in. If That's true. As I say this, if you've got Bryce Cotton, Norton, of course, they've been able to get Blanchfield, they have an import four, they've still got a really good crew that's mm-hmm. going to have a crack at NBL 21. So it's not... It's not title or wooden spoon. It's, hey, we're kind of here. We like what we got. And then goes to that next level if, in fact, the citizenship and the papers do come through. All right. Uh, anything from you, Liam, before we get out of here? Nah, just a, sh- a shout out to the Melbourne United guys and their families. Um, hopefully, as, as Jeremy said, it was really encouraging to hear him say that his understanding is that it's all going well in terms yep. of everyone making a full recovery and it not having a major impact necessarily on anybody. But uh, hopefully it stays that way and we get all those guys fat, Fit, fight, fit and fighting healthy. Um, again, very, very, very soon. Very well said. Hashtag NBL overtime to get involved. NBL rewind. Are we sitting down with a goat this week? I think that's the word. I think Brian Gorgian's going to join us on NBL rewind and he's going to, and we're going to go back and watch game three of that 1992 grand final series, Magic Tigers, his first championship, 15,000 people. I think it was called Flinders Park back then. So Brian Gorgian to join us. Uh, call me Liam. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, he can recount some of those weight room conversations you used to have with him <laughs> back in the day. Don't forget, you can check you out uh, Adam Gibson's podcast as well uh, on NBL Podcasts. Can't wait you, used for it. Me, you used to call me Lim St. Marie. Just, just can't get his, just can't get his <laughs> name around any his mouth around any of my names. It's going to be great. Can't wait for it. Hashtag NBL overtime. We'll be back this time next week. See ya.